Father, as we come to Genesis 31 today and we finish the chapter and uh, we see the last of old Uncle Laban, Lord, there's uh, a lot to learn from, from this character. And one of the things that we can learn about him, Lord, is just how stubborn he was in his unbelief. Uh, you gave him so many opportunities. You show many, showed him in so many ways uh, uh, just how real you are, how good you are, and Lord, he just never really turned to you. And so there's a warning here in this study today for all of us, and, and Lord, uh, for not only believer, unbelievers, but believers too, that Lord, even believers can live in un, stubborn unbelief. And so, Lord, I help ask that you help us today to, to, to see this lesson that you want to show us through this text, and Lord, we just ask you bless our study today. Uh, Lord, I pray for everybody in here uh, going into the new year, Lord. Uh, we, we, we're facing some difficult times uh, nationally. Uh, uh, Lord, as we mentioned last week, we're facing enemies that, that want to harm us. Lord, I just ask for you to show mercy on this country this year. Lord, I ask for you to make it just the best year of all of our lives. And uh, up till now, Lord, just this I just ask for a really, really good year in 2020. And, Lord, we can only have that when we truly are believing you and trusting you and resting in you. So, so show us how we can do that today as we, we look at this study. And I just ask again for your blessing on it. And I ask that in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Back in 2011, the world witnessed a string of miraculous events uh, like it had never seen before uh, and it came in the world of sports some of you are probably going to know what I'm talking about here before I even get started but it came through a character named Tim Tebow I don't know if you remember Tim Tebow or not uh, most of the pundits in the NFL called him the worst quarterback in the league they said he was terrible uh, and uh, but the fans loved him, and the Denver fans loved him, and they wanted him in the game. And so uh, Kyle Orton was the quarterback for Denver, and, and uh, he had started the first five games, and Denver was pitiful. They were terrible. They were getting slaughtered. Uh, uh, his quarterback rating was almost zero. Uh, and and uh, in the fifth game, when their, when their record uh, was actually the sixth game, when their record was one and four, the crowd began to chant Tebow, 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 and they put him in the game. And, and uh, I don't think he won that game, but he, he led them to a, almost to a comeback. And so he became the starter. He went on to lead that team to, to nine wins, uh, and five of those wins were nothing short of miraculous. I mean, they were comebacks that, that uh, he made in the last quarter, and they won those games on the very last drive of the game. I think three of those games they won on the last play of the game. Uh, and just to give you an example, in the Miami game, with only five minutes left, Tebow was the, 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 the Broncos were down 15 to nothing with only five minutes left. Tebow at that point was four for 14 passing. Uh, but he caught fire and, uh, with pinpoint passing and these these uh, fantastic running runs, uh, he led the team to victory. Uh, just a few weeks later, they were playing the, the Bears, and they were down 
10 to nothing with two, min- with, 10, with two minutes left. And he was 3 for 16 in passing at that point, and he caught fire again. And he led the team to, to another miraculous victory. Victory, but and, and then he led them into the playoffs, and maybe his most miraculous victory came against the Pittsburgh, the great pick, mighty Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, when on the first play in overtime, he hit uh, Demarius Thomas for an 80-yard touchdown, uh, and uh, they had a sudden death win. And while all of this, these miracle comebacks were taking place, Tebow mania, you know. Uh, was sweeping America. The the ratings for the Denver Broncos game went out the roof. I mean, they were Super Bowl Bowl type TV ratings, and so everybody was watching this. Uh, Denver became the game of the week every week while Timbo was playing, and uh, people all over the world begin to do this thing called Tebowing. I don't know if you remember it or not. You look at the cover of your bulletin. That's that's a silhouette of that what uh, Tebow would do when he would win one of these miraculous uh, wins, uh, he would get on his one knee and pray, or when he would score a touchdown, he'd get on one knee and pray, and people begin to mimic that all over the country. And, uh, you know, you could say a lot of uh, skeptics would say, well, there have been a lot of miracle comebacks in the NFL, and there certainly have, but there's never been a string of miracle events like that, like took place in 2011. And after each one of those miracle victories, what I love to do, I like to watch the post-game show. And those guys' jaws were just dropped after every game. I mean, they made comments like, there is a God. Uh, uh, I mean, this is nothing short of miraculous. Uh, We're witnessing miracles of God. And you know what? I believe they really were witnessing miracles of God. I believe what God was doing, he was winking at America. And uh, everybody that was watching those games, what he was saying to them, that the God of Tim Tebow, who is none other than Jesus Christ, is alive and he's well. And, uh, uh, man, I wish that story had just gone on and Tebow had won every game thereafter and and, uh, won every Super Bowl thereafter. And then maybe finally people would really truly believe in God. But that's not what happened. We all know what happened after that. Tebow went to, the, to play the Patriots in the next game. The, the, you talk about the mighty Steelers. They were the mighty New England Patriots. And, and uh, uh, it's as if God took his hand off of Tebow. And, and I remember before that game telling Eli, I said, you know, he, they're going to get really beat bad because I think God's done, you, you know, with the show. I think he's done uh, using Tebow to, to, try to, to, to try to make a witness for America. And, and sure enough, they got slaughtered. I mean, they got slaughtered, and Tebow looked terrible. And uh, 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 after that, he was pretty much done. I think, personally, I think he was pushed out of the NFL. I think he was blackballed by the NFL because they didn't like that religious stuff uh, taking place within their league. They didn't want that in their league. And so, so uh, uh, he was gone. But the way they responded to Tebow, and the way the country responded to Tebow is a, what, a case of what I call stubborn unbelief. This refusal to believe in God no matter how clearly God manifests himself to a person or to a society. And, and uh, 
there was plenty of evidence. And forget the football games. There's plenty of evidence that God is alive and well and uh, that God wants to have a relationship with every person in this world. But most people live in stubborn unbelief and they deny the reality and presence of God. Now that brings us to today's story in Genesis chapter 31 uh, as uh, we're going to see this, go back to this this man, old Uncle Laban, for the last time. And uh, as we look at him, we're going to see that he's infected with a bad case of stubborn unbelief, that he uh, had all sorts of reasons to believe in the Lord, but he never truly made that decision to put his faith in God, and it's going to cost him in the end. Now, let's pick up where we left off last time. If you remember when we left, left off last time, Jacob had was living there in Haran. Uh, he was, he was, had made this deal with his old uncle Laban that he would keep all the spotted, speckled, and brown sheep, and he had made himself rich because God was blessing him. And he noticed that Uncle Laban's countenance and the, the countenance of Uncle Laban's sons had changed. And no longer did they smile at him or say hi to him. Uh, they were bitter and harsh towards him. And he knew that Uncle Laban at some point was going to try to move in and take back what God had given Jacob. And so uh, Uncle Laban uh, goes to his herds, which you remember were three days' journey away from, from Jacob's herds, and Jacob sees this as an opportunity to get out of Dodge. And so he goes and he tells his wife uh, that he wants to leave, they agree that it's time to leave because Uncle Laban had treated them all so badly. Uh, and so they pack up their stuff and they head out. And uh, uh, no doubt, uh, as soon as they left, one of Laban's servants who were left behind took the three-day journey to find Laban and tell him what had happened. And so uh, that's what we're going to pick up as we come to chapter number 31 today. We want to pick up in verse number 22. So go with me to chapter 31 and look in verse number 22. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So he's got, he's, it, Jacob's gone three days. He's going to take him three days to get back and probably a day to get ready to go chase Laban down. So uh, then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days. That's where you get the seven days journey. And he overtook them in the mountains of Gilead. So Jacob makes it, he's going as fast as he possibly can. Now he's got a herd of sheep and goats and he's got uh, servants and he's got his wife and he's got his children and he's going as fast as he can to get away from old Uncle Laban. But Uncle Laban is going to track him down. He tracks him down and, and uh, I tell you what, at this point, Jacob would have been done for if God hadn't intervened. I mean, I don't know how many times in my life I would have been done for if God hadn't intervened. And here's God. He's going to intervene for Jacob. And look at what he does in verse number 24. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night. And he said to him, this sounds like Clint Eastwood to me. He says, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. You better not mess with him, dude. Kind of like that. Uh, tweet Trump sent out yesterday. We've got 52 targets that we've designated. Uh, go ahead and make my day. You know, we, I mean, I don't know how this is all going to pan out, but, but uh, 
Uh, that's pretty bold. God, if God says I've got 52 targets I've laid out, you're in deep trouble. Uh, I don't know about Trump, but with God, you're in deep trouble. And, and God tells Laban, you better not mess with Jacob. Jacob is, is, is mine, and you better not mess with him. Last week, when we looked at Psalm chapter 11, we looked at the background of that story, and it's a very similar story because David was being chased by Absalom and his armies when David wrote that psalm. He'd been chased out of Jerusalem, and it looked like he might even die. And and, and David concluded that psalm. You know, one of the things David did whenever he was in trouble, he went and strengthened himself in the Lord. That's a good thing to do. And he, and he, and he, what, he, what it means, by, what, do you, what does it mean you strengthen yourself in the Lord? It means you just ponder the things of the Lord, what the Lord has done for you in the past. And you come to a conclusion. You come to a conclusion that one conclusion you can come to is, hey, the Lord is not faithful. I'm in deep trouble. The other conclusion is, hey, the Lord's got me out of every bind he's ever got me out of before. He's going to get me out of this bind. And that's the conclusion that David came to. David said this in verse number 7 as he concluded the psalm. He says, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness, so his countenance beholds the upright. What he means by that, the Lord loves righteousness, and so he loves the righteous. And his countenance is on the righteous. If you're a righteous person, God's countenance is upon you. Now, his countenance means something much more than just his gaze. That's his glory. That's his power. That's his wisdom. That's his love. If you're a child of God, if you have been made righteous through Jesus Christ, the countenance of God is resting upon you. And David came to that conclusion. If the countenance of God is resting upon me, then there's nothing that Absalom and his armies could do to me. Uh, the Lord is righteous, he loves, he, he, he loves righteousness, and he loves the righteous, and his countenance rests upon me so I can rest in the Lord. Well, that's the same situation with Jacob. Jacob was righteous. Now, if, you, if you're a casual observer and you're reading these stories, I don't know if you would come to the conclusion that Jacob was righteous. But Jacob was righteous. Why was Jacob righteous? Because just like his grandfather Abraham, he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, and, and as we're going to see today, as we look through this text, and we go back and, and look at Uncle Laban, Laban had every reason to believe in God, but he didn't believe in God. He, his faith was in his pagan gods, and, and because his faith was in his pagan gods, he was not righteous. He was unrighteous righteous and even worse than being unrighteous is the fact that he was at enmity with God now whose side do you think God's going to be on in this case is he going to be on somebody who's his enemy's side no he's going to be on the righteous man's side he's going to be on Jacob's side so God comes to Laban in a dream and he tells him don't mess with Jacob Don't even go so far as to speak against Jacob. Don't even say bad words to Jacob. And I think Laban kind of pushed the the envelope here, uh, and he almost does say some bad things about Jacob, but he certainly didn't mess with Jacob. Here's something we all need to get down. Wicked and ruthless people, 
and I don't care how powerful they are in this world, they are no match for God. You got that? Do you really believe that they're no match for God? And that means that they're no match for God's people. They can't touch you. Look, God can change their minds. He can change their direction uh, at his bidding anytime he wants to. And, and, and so if you're struggling with some pagan, heathen adversary who's giving you a hard time, whose side do you think God's on? Their side or your side? God is on your side. And in his time, he's going to push that enemy back away from you if you'll just let him, if you'll put your trust in him. Now, Jacob was no match for Laban and his sons and this army of servants that Laban brought with him. And so God intervened, and his countenance was on, upon Jacob, and uh, his countenance is upon you. Look, if God is not intervening, if you've got an enemy that's harassing you right now, a wicked person that's harassing you, it, it, if it's your wife, I really feel sorry for you. That's what I was talking about my wife. I got a great wife. But if you've got a, bad, a wicked wife, I really feel sorry for you. You wives that got wicked husbands, I really feel sorry for you too. But if you have an adversary, be, uh, in that case you're stuck is what I'm trying to say. But, but, if you're, but in other cases, in all cases really, if you've got a wicked, ruthless adversary, and God is not intervening for you. And it seems like you're stuck under the hand of this ruthless person. God's got a reason in that. That's what you've got to realize. God has a reason in leaving you there in that position. And more than likely, how long was Jacob under the tutelage of Laban? 20 years. I mean, he's getting out of it now, but he was under that wicked man's tutelage for 20 years. So God had a reason for that. And if you've got some wicked person who's oppressing you, God's got a reason in that oppression. And the reason is more than likely one of two things. He wants you to get to a point where, you want to, where your back's against the wall and you have no choice but to trust in God. And that's the point Jacob is in the story now. The other thing that God wants to do, he's working in your character. He's allowing that person to oppress you to develop your character. And he's going to allow that to go on as long as he wants to. But in the end, let me tell you what, you're going to be the one on top and that person's going to be the one on the bottom. And you've got to realize that. And you've got to be willing to wait on the Lord and, and trust the Lord that the Lord is going to intervene on your behalf uh, when he's ready to intervene on your behalf. And nothing, no harm's going to come to you. Uh, like I've said over and over again, all the devil can do to a believer is bark at you. That's all he can do. If any harm comes to you, God has allowed that harm to come to you. And he's got good reasons in that harm. He's working good in your life when that harm comes to you. So here is Jacob now, and he's got no choice but to trust the Lord, or he's done for. And, and uh, so, so uh, the Lord, even though Jacob isn't even calling on him, the Lord's going to take care of him. Now let's pick back up where we left off a minute ago at verse number 25. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban 
with his brethren had pitched his Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? Now, they finally encounter each other. And Laban says, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? In other words, you're no better than any marauder who came along and, and, and raided our camp and stole our children and stole our goods. That's, that's all you are, Jacob. And he's letting Jacob have it. And let me tell you what Jacob's doing at this point. Jacob is shaking in his boots. He's scared to death because he doesn't know at this point that the Lord's intervened on his behalf. And so he's, he's really, really scared. But, and so uh, Laban goes on. He said, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me in the, in, in the night and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and heart. We would have had a great party, Jacob, if you had just stayed here and done the right thing. Baloney. Laban had evil intentions toward Jacob. Let me tell you what, when Laban was chasing Jacob down, his intent, I believe, was to kill Jacob and to take back his daughters, take the grandchildren, and take all the property. At the very least, he was going to run him away. And so, so uh, he, did, he, 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 he uh, wasn't about to throw some party like he says right here. But then he says in the next verse, he says, And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. And I agree with that. See, here's where Jacob went wrong. Jacob, Jacob was afraid of Laban. He wanted out. God had told him he could get out of Haran and he could go back to the promised land. And he wanted out. And, and, uh, and, but he was afraid of Laban. And so he stole away in the night. Instead of trusting the Lord, what would have happened if Jacob had stayed in Haran? He had gone to Laban. And he said, Laban, I'm leaving. I've worked for you for 20 years. I've worked hard for you for 20 years. These are my cattle. These are my, these is, this is my livestock. These are my wife. These are my grandchildren. I'm going back to the promised land. Tough. I'm going back, whether you like it or not. What, what would have happened? What do you think would have happened? Laban would have tried to stop him. There's no doubt that Laban would have tried to stop him, but could he have stopped him? No, God would have done the same thing he did in the mountains of Gilead. God would have came to Laban and said, let Jacob go so so uh so so jacob was wrong he should have allowed laban to say goodbye to his grandchildren and goodbye to his wife i mean grandchildren they're like the greatest things in the world i heard chuck smith say the other day if i'd known how good grandchildren were i would have had them first and i i agree with that grandchildren are great and if my if my kids are and were to leave and, and I couldn't see my grandchildren, I'd be really mad. So I can, I can relate to this. So, so anyway, uh, Jacob's, Jacob's scared to death at this point. Now look at verse number 29. He's, uh, listen to what Laban said. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father, now notice how he speaks of God. He speaks of God as your God, as the God of your father. He doesn't say my God. He doesn't say our God. He said, the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you, are, because you greatly long for your father's house. I mean, I understand I mean, you're homesick. I get that. 
He says, and, but why did you steal my, now listen to this, my gods. First of all, if your gods can be stolen, they're not much of, God, of a god, are they? If they can be stolen. But here's Laban, and, and, and i got to tell you, he is a die-hard polytheist. I mean, why? Let me tell you what, why? Because of his stubborn unbelief. That's why. I mean, there's no doubt he knew the power and grace and love of Jehovah God because he had seen it through Abraham and Abraham's relationship with the Lord. Remember when Eliezer had come and that miracle that took place when he found Rebekah there at the well and all of that, and they all agreed it was a miracle of the Lord, of Abraham's God, the Lord. He saw that. Then for 20 years he had watched the Lord work in Jacob. And I mean, he knew that the Lord was God. He knew that how Jacob was being blessed and he wasn't being blessed. And, and actually at first he was being blessed because... Because he was getting everything that Jacob was, everything that was God was blessing Jacob with was Laban's. But then they made that deal, and then he tried to change the deal, and and uh, they would they would say, okay, you get Laban said to Jacob, you get the spotted, you get the striped, you get the brown sheep, and I'll get all the thoroughbreds. And it was thoroughbreds who breed thoroughbreds who were doing the breeding. So Laban didn't think he'd get any sheep. Well, he started getting spotted sheep. So Laban said, okay, you can't have the spotted sheep. You get the streaked and you get the brown sheep. And then they started all bearing streaked and brown sheep. So he said, you can't have the streaked and brown sheep. You get the spotted sheep now. And he changed the deal ten times. Who was Laban battling with? He wasn't battling with Jacob. Who was he battling with? He was battling with Jehovah God. And he was losing the battle. And he should have seen that. And now the Lord himself comes to Laban in a dream. And Laban hears the voice of God, and, and, and I just can't understand. I mean, he's afraid of the Lord because he's not going to harm Jacob. I can't understand why he didn't throw his gods away. They'd already been stolen from him, but I, don't, I, I can't understand why he wouldn't want to throw his gods away and have nothing to do with them and totally fall on his face and make Jehovah his God. I can't understand it, but people do that all over the world every day. They deny the existence of God because they don't want God because of their stubborn unbelief. So here he is, and he's worshiping these pagan gods who are represented by these little idols and, and that, that he could hold in his hand. Gods that he could hold in his hand. And somebody from Jacob's party has stolen his little god. And the, the thing that made him more mad than the fact that Jacob had taken his children, rather his grandchildren and his daughters away and his herds away, the thing that made him the most mad was that somebody had stolen his little gods. Again, some gods. Why would you worship gods that could be stolen? He should have forsaken those gods. But he didn't forsake those gods and turn to Jehovah because of his stubborn, willful unbelief. And here's why. Here's why people engage in willful unbelief. They want gods they can control, not gods that control them. Now, I'll tell you what. We all ought to examine ourselves right here on that issue. 
because there's a lot of us who call ourselves Christian who still are trying to control our own lives. We don't want God controlling our lives. We want to control our own lives. And I'm going to tell you what, you're no different from Laban if that's what, the way you're living. If God is not controlling your life, I wonder whether you're truly a born-again believer or not. Because if you're a born-again believer, you want the Lord to control your life. Now, as we come back to the story, here's Jacob, and he's emboldened. He's found out now that Jehovah God has threatened Laban, and so Laban can't do anything to him. I don't know if you ever watched the Andy Riffin show, but Barney Fife, if you know who I'm talking about, that's the way he was. He would face an enemy, and he would shake in his boots. But then when Andy would take care of that enemy and subdue that enemy, all of a sudden he would puff out his chest, and he was emboldened, and he would let his enemy have it because he knew the enemy couldn't do anything to him. And that's exactly what's going to happen here now as we, as we pick up uh, in verse 31. Listen to what happens. In verse number 31, Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Now he's, he's emboldened now, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find, he says, now, he says, with whomever you find your gods, do not let them live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen those gods. Now, Jacob makes a really rash vow right here. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the dangers of making rash vows. I mean, this very well could have caught, caused Rachel her life, this vow that he made, but, but it doesn't because she's got the gods hidden. Because look at the next verse. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched everywhere, all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the, for the manner of women is with me. I think all of you know what he's talking about there. And he searched, or what she was talking about there, and he searched, but did not find the household idols. Now, Laban can't find the household idols, so you talk about being emboldened. Jacob is really emboldened at this point, and he's going to let old Uncle Laban have it. Listen to what happened. Then Jacob was angry. He's going he's to get everything off his chest he's been holding for 20 years. He, he says to him, he says, he says, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? You found nothing. If you found anything, set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young, and I have not eaten your rams or your flock. That which was torn by the beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day in the drought, and in the day the drought consumed me, the heat, and in the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and now listen to what he calls him, the fear of 
Isaac, the God Isaac fears, the true and living God, the God we should all fear, unless the unless that God had been not had been with me, uh, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. I think he would have done worse to him. I think he probably would have killed him. And God has seen all my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night, and I love it. And Jacob was right. God had seen his plight those 20 years. Here's what Jacob didn't see that we can see looking back on this text. God was in his plight. We talked about this when Jacob first came to old Uncle Laban, that he was heading to the school of hard knocks. Who sent him there? God had sent him there because Jacob was a deceiver. And God was going to work this out of Jacob. God was going to let him see over 20 years what it felt like to be deceived so that he wouldn't be such a man as Laban, so that he would be a righteous man. So he put him through that for 20 years. All right, and then in verse number 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, watch this now. He says, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. That's a pretty arrogant statement right there. Uh, And this flock is my flock, and all you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or their children whom I have born? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brother, gather stones. And, And they took stones and made a heap. And there they, and, and there, and they are there on the heap. Laban called, called the heap, Jagar, Sahadatha, but Jacob called it Galeed. Now, that's really interesting here because these people come from the same family. But, and and, and Jagar Sahadutha means heap of witness, just like Galeed in Hebrew means heap of witness. Uh, Jagar Sahadutha is Aramaic and Galeed is Hebrew. And that, that language between the two, it, it, it just over a few uh, generations, had been totally changed. The Hebrew had become a unique language. That's what I want you to see there. And Labor said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name is called Galeed, and it's also called Mizpah, which is, in Hebrew means to watch. Because he said, may the Lord watch. Now, he's calling upon the Lord himself here. Because uh, he knows that it's the Lord who's going to be with Jacob. He's got this mentality, too, that the Lord kind of moves around. He doesn't understand the omniscience of God. And so he's thinking, your God, the Lord's going to be with you, and your God is going to watch over you, and he's going to see what you do here. So may the Lord be a witness between you and me when you are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see no, no man from our group is with us. See that God is a witness between you and me. In other words, your God is watching you. Now, really, that's kind of a, a hypocritical warning, if you ask me, because Jacob had t- treated uh, Leah and, and Rachel much better than Laban ever had. 
And so for him to be questioned how Jacob was going to treat his daughters in the future as bad as he had treated his daughters in the past was really hypocrisy. But anyway, go on on verse 51. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, <coughs> and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar, pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you to do you harm, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to do me harm. And, 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 and so they made a covenant. And I think they made that covenant between each other and between their descendants. And I think that Jacob and Laban honored that covenant. They never went after each other after this point uh, to do the, each other harm. But now certainly their descendants haven't honored that covenant. Uh, I don't know that Laban ever even saw his grandchildren again and his daughters. I doubt very seriously that he did, which is really really sad i mean as as ruthless and wicked as the guy it was you have to feel sorry for him in the fact that he's not going to see any of these people again then he says something really really he he, he wants to seal this covenant now uh and he's going to use all the gods that he knows about to seal the covenant and that's what we see in verse number 53 he says the god of abraham the god of nahor now where it says god of nahor that's elohim that's god's plural So he says, may the God of Abraham and the Elohim of Nahor, the gods of Nahor, and the God of the father of Abraham and Nahor, who was Terah. Now we're told over in Joshua chapter 24 that Terah died worshiping pagan gods. That means he was never saved. And so, uh, again, the word God there, the God of their father, is Elohim. So what uh, Laban is doing at this point He's uh, invoking all the gods on this agreement. He's bringing in the God of Abraham, Jehovah. He's bringing in the pagan gods of Nahor and the pagan gods of Terah, who were probably his pagan gods between. He says, let them judge between us. Now, that's, that tells you a lot about Laban at this point. He hasn't, he hasn't had any kind of revival here. He has no faith. He has stubborn unbelief. Who should he believe in at this point? There's no doubt he should believe in Jehovah God, but he doesn't. He's still invoking these other gods. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren. No, wait, I left off something very important. And Jacob swore. Jacob said, okay, we'll make this agreement by the gods, but I'm only going to swear by my God. And that God, and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Who was the fear of his father Isaac? Jehovah God. Who's the fear of all of us? Jehovah God. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and he called his brethren to eat, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, and he, this is really sad here. For the last time, he kissed his sons, his grandsons, and daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed, and he returned where? To his place what's his place well you could say Haran but I don't think that's necessarily what Moses the author of Genesis is talking about here he turned to his state of life right back to exactly where he was before back to Haran back to his herds uh, back to his pagan gods and from this point on we don't hear from Laban again So he goes off the pages of the Bible, lost 
as a goof. That's what happens at some point to every polytheist, every person who worships pagan gods. It happens to every atheist. The story of a believer now, that's a different story. That story goes on and on and on and on and on. I mean, you look at Jacob's story. Jacob appears 60 times more in the book of Genesis. He appears 174 more times after the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. He even appears in the New Testament 27 times. And one of those appearances in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the fact that we will sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we will partake of that supper with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, one day you're going to know Jacob. Some of you are going to know Laban. When you... If you know him, tell me what he's like. I mean, send me a, send me a, mess, a text message and let me know how he's doing. I don't think he's going to be doing too well. I don't think you're going to be doing too well. But that's what happens to most people. They go off the pages of history and they vanish all the way into hell. And you don't ever hear from them or about them again. Why does that happen to them? I'll tell you why it happens to them. Not because all they, they didn't know better. No, because of their stubborn unbelief. Everybody who's in hell and everybody who's going to go to hell, they are without excuse. Read Romans chapter 1. You are without excuse. Listen, God, you can just look at the creation. You can look at the sun in the sky, and if you think that just happened by accident, let me tell you what, you are a fool. That did not happen by accident. If you think you've got eyes, and you've got hands, and you've got feet, and you've got all of that because of warts that developed on your wormy body way back a billion years ago, you are a fool. We are creations of God Almighty. And if you'll come to that light willingly, and you'll come to that light and, and, and give up your unbelief, God will show you the way, all the way to heaven through Jesus Christ. He will show that to you. You know, I've known people, they know all about the reality of God. They, they know that. And a lot of them know all about the reality of Jesus Christ. I think probably 90% of Americans would tell you they believe in Jesus Christ. And they'll be right. Jesus Christ, they'll tell you he died on the cross. That does not save you. You can believe all of that and you can still live in stubborn unbelief. You know, God gives all sorts of witnesses that he's around, just like those miracles I talked about that happened in 2011 with Tim Tebow. You can see that every day if you look around. You know, people can look at, should be able to look at us and, and see a miracle. All the people in my family, that are not saved, were around, I'm talking about those that were around when I was saved. They knew what kind of person I was before I got saved. They have seen the change that God is, the supernatural change that God has made in my life. Now, I'm certainly not the kind of witness I should be, and I'm not saying that. But i got to tell you, if you knew me before I was saved, you would say, wow. I can't believe God did that. 
And, and yet, I think they would say that. I think when I first got saved, they thought it was some kind of jailhouse conversion or something. You know, I was in deep trouble, and so, so I got saved. Well, I was in deep trouble, and so I got saved. But I really did get saved. Supernaturally, I got saved. And the proof is in the 30 years that have transpired since then. And one day, when they're standing in heaven, they say, well, we just didn't really believe. Well, what about George? What about Brenda? You saw what I did in their life. They know that God's transformed my life. They know that. And they know there's a Jesus Christ, and they know there's a God. But they do not want him to rule over them. They want gods that they can control, not gods that control them. And so they live in stubborn belief, and I don't really feel so sorry for them. You know, you've got to pray for them that God breaks that. But I've got to tell you, Laban, it wasn't going to ever break in Laban's heart. And there's a lot of people I know, their hearts are never going to be broken to the point that they come to the Lord either. No matter what God does. And let me tell you what, there's a warning in the Bible. You remember Pharaoh. He kept hardening his heart, and what did God do? He joined in. You want to harden your heart against me? I'm going to harden your heart. I'm going to make it even worse. And I see that happen to a lot of people. And there comes a point where I don't care whether you pray for them or not. And people tell you, well, you pray long enough, they'll get saved. That's not necessarily true. Not everybody's going to get saved you pray for. Because they've got to exercise that will. And if they stubbornly refuse to come to Jesus Christ and give their life to the Lord, then then they're going to perish. They're going to go off the pages of history all the way into hell. Now, here's the other issue. There are a lot of true believers who live in stubborn unbelief. I mean, people who are born again, I believe they're born again. I mean, Jacob was one of those. Jacob had had, look at, look at what God had done in Jacob's life up until the point he cut and ran instead of standing there and facing Laban. Look at what God had done. He should have trusted the Lord. But he refused to trust the Lord because he felt that he could handle things better than the Lord could handle things. And I've got to tell you, when you live like that, you're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be in a storm all of your life if you don't truly put your faith in God. And God warns believers against stubborn unbelief. Look at the Israelites. For 40 years they were in the wilderness. You think they believed? If you ask any one of those 2 million people if they believed, they would have said, what do you mean believe? Look over there at the tabernacle. You see the Shekinah glory? God's right there, of course we believe. You see the manna that comes down every morning? Of course we believe. They all believed. And they all perished. They all perished because they never made God their God. And you can believe and not make God your God, and you can perish too. Friends, we better get real serious about this business of making God our God. You want 2020 to be a good year? Then let me tell you what you need to do. Get rid of your unbelief. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm a believer. I'm a born-again believer. Help my unbelief. And that's where you're going to find joy and peace in 2020 and the years thereafter. When you truly put away your idols, make God God, 
and trust him and enter into his rest. You want a great year next year? Try that formula. Trust God. Enter into his rest. Truly believe. And he's going to bless you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your patience with us. Lord, the patience you had with Jacob, you have with us. You even had patience with Laban. Lord, you have patience with every person in this world. The Bible tells us that you're, the reason you haven't come back is that you're long-suffering. You wish that none should perish. Lord, there's so many of us that are living in stubborn unbelief. Lord, shake that unbelief. Lord, bring us to a point where we truly do believe in you. We truly do make you our God. We put away all of these idols of this world that are destroying us, Lord, and we turn to you. We truly give our lives to you. We truly serve you and we rest in you. Bring us to that point this year in 2020, Lord. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you today as their Savior, Lord, that someone here who's not truly born again, let today be the day that they come to you in belief. Or they might believe all about you, but let today be the day that they give their lives to you and rest in you and put away their idols. Lord, I just ask for that blessing today on their lives. And Lord, I ask for a blessing for everyone in here in 2020 that that this year will be a year that, that no matter how bad things get in this world, that we can find joy and peace by resting and believing in you. We just thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say (laughs) it is well Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed The victory is won He is risen from the dead And I will rise When He calls my name No more sorrow No more pain I will rise On eagle's wings Before my God Fall on my knees And rise I will rise There's a day that's drawing near When this darkness breaks to light And the shadows disappear And my faith will be my eyes (laughs) Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed The victory 
is one. He is risen from the dead. And I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God. Fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he looked down, there were the Jews standing below and they were mocking him and they said things to him like this they said if you are the son of God come down from that cross and we will believe they were liars they wouldn't have believed if he had come down from that cross you know what they would have done if he had come down from that cross they would have hung him right back on that cross Why? Because of their stubborn unbelief. During his ministry, he had done miracle after miracle after miracle that proved that he was none other than the Son of God. And yet they refused to believe. See, the problem wasn't the lack of evidence that he was the Son of God. The problem was that They were unwilling to have this man rule over them. As we come to this table today, that's a question every one of us need to ask ourselves. Are you willing to have this man rule over you? If you're not, you have no business partaking of this bread and partaking of this wine. No business whatsoever. In fact, you endanger yourself. Because Paul says when you take this Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you bring judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are sick. That's why many of you have trouble, Paul says. That's why many of you, you know, are, are failing in life. It's because you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And one of the things that makes us worthy is the fact that we truly make Jesus our Lord. We believe in him. He gives us his righteousness. And we agree to make him our Lord and Savior. Paul says this. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you proclaim the Lord's death, your Lord's death. You proclaim that you truly believe in him, that you're truly resting in him, that he truly is your God. Let's stand and close in a song. And I will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. And I hear the voice of many angels sing. I will.